This is Julio Rodriguez, and this is the Lookout Landing Podcast. Welcome back to the Lookout Landing Podcast. We hope you are all doing okay in the face of some extremely weird times. Uh, I think we're all doing our best despite the pandemic that is happening. Uh, my name is Matthew Robertson. I'll be hosting this show. And despite the circumstances of the world, things are looking up for me because today I'm recording a podcast with two wonderful guests. One of them is a familiar voice, the person responsible for hiring me at Lookout Landing, and the only reason any of you know who I am, <laughs> Lookout Landing Managing Editor, Kate Prusser. What's going on in your neck of the woods, Kate? Hello. It's uh, it's very beautiful here today. I'm happy because Memorial Day was not, not to be a bummer, but it was kind of sad for me. It was hard to not have baseball. I didn't realize how much my life, like, Memorial Day weekend always kind of feels like the start of summer. There's always baseball to watch. I don't have a big family, so I don't have a lot of, like, stuff to do usually. So it's just always been a comfort to have baseball. It was really hard this year, and it was extra hard because the weather was kind of crummy, too. So I'm in much better spirits today, though, and very excited to, to talk some baseball with our, our guest. Yes. I feel like the universe was kind of mailing it in on Memorial Day. <laughs> yes, they, they read the room, and they are like, eh, we don't need to make it nice this year. <laughs> It'll be a gray Memorial Day. Uh, but the guest that Kate mentioned, who is joining us today, is a former Major League Baseball player and now the host of the Chuck and Buck Morning Show on KJR. Also a self-proclaimed Ginger Shrek lookalike, it is former <laughs> Mariner first baseman Bucky Jacobson. What's uh, up, Bucky? What's up, Matthew? Kate, how are you guys doing? Good. I think beloved Mar- former Mariner. For, like, there's, a, there's definitely a beloved aspect to it, too, which is... Uh, significant, I think, especially considering the amount of time you were in Seattle, like yeah. just to have made that big of an impact in such a short time. Yeah, it wasn't very long, uh, but it was it was memorable. There's no doubt about that. I don't know why the beloved thing. I remember getting asked that a ton when I was playing, uh, and I thought, well, I guess if I'm a if I'm a person sitting at home on the couch or in my recliner, you know, sipping on a a beverage, uh, and I'm watching some baseball, I'm gonna cheer for a bald ginger guy that obviously is not going up there trying to bunt and steal second base right i mean it just seemed like the it seemed like the same type of guy i would cheer for i have to think that's what it is then maybe having a weird name bucky's kind of a different name kind of catchy uh i hated it it wasn't real fun being a redheaded freckle-faced kid named bucky you know what that rhymes with uh that banana fan oh, game oh, that wasn't yeah. real fun in grade school so it wasn't fun growing up but yeah as i got older and into the baseball world uh having a different name i think was something that kind of made it a little bit stand out a little bit more how did you get the name bucky because your real name according to wikipedia your full legal name is and of course i've forgotten it since Larry William Buck Jacobson. So it's, yeah, it's a funny, uh, well, it's not really that funny. Um, I, uh, Larry's my dad's name, my first, my, my real dad's first name, uh, which he hates. He doesn't go by it. Um, his actual name is Larry Laverne Jacobson, and he goes by Jake. Uh, I don't, I mean, other than the Jake Jacobson, I suppose, is where he's getting it from, but hates the name Larry, has always hated it, so he names me Larry. It's not Lawrence, Larry. Thanks on that one. <laughs> Uh, William is his dad's name, Bill, um, who they don't get along, really haven't gotten along his entire life. Again, uh, don't really understand the reasoning behind that. 
Buck, on the other hand, Buck was his uh, high school track coach. Uh, Buck McGilvery was his name, and he was kind of a second father to him. And so he named his first and only son after him. And so it's Buck is actually, it's on my birth certificate. It actually is, I don't know what you'd call it, a second middle name then. Um, and I've been by Buck since birth, I guess. At some point, my mom says somewhere around less than a year old, somewhere around a year, though, she just was like, Buck, it's like so harsh. Buck, Buck. And so she threw the Y on there and just started <laughs> calling me Bucky, which has basically stuck forever. I tried uh, diligently in uh, my freshman year of <laughs> high school. I remember, uh, like, I was little. You guys won't believe this, but I was four foot 11, like 94 pounds in my freshman high school. I was the littlest guy in my school. And I, I was interested in girls, but because they were all bigger than I was, uh, and I hadn't, I, I hadn't hit puberty at all yet, they were not interested. They were like, oh, you're so nice. You're you're such a good friend. And I'm like, I don't really want to be your friend. Like, uh, uh, see these, all of my friends, my buddies. Yeah. Those are my friends. And, uh, like, I'd like to make out. Uh, so <laughs> can we make this happen? And I thought, I thought for sure that the reason it wasn't happening was because Bucky, like it's, Oh, Bucky, Bucky. So I was like, I wrote on my student ASB, ASB card, um, Buck. I'm like, all right, I'm going by Buck now, guys. Mm -hmm, all right, mm -hmm. it's Buck. I'm, I'm a man now. I don't have any fuzz on my nuts yet, but I, I'm a man. So call me Buck, and they, uh, it, nobody went for it. Everybody just still called me Bucky, and so I just basically at that point conceded and realized that is my name. Bucky is what it is, and uh, it's a little different. It's a little weird, but uh, I just gotta own it, right? Well, you yeah. had a, I mean, somehow you wound up at 6'4", right? <laughs> so, I mean, you're not that 4'11 guy anymore. So, puberty must have come through like a, a bullet train. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is that, that's inspiring, though, for all those kids out there who are listening who, like, maybe want to get into sports or, you know, date people and who are <laughs> feeling like... <laughs> it, so, is your message yeah. here, like, it will get better? Like, you... Yeah, will I come can't, for us all. Yeah, I can't guarantee that you'll end up being, you know, if you're the runt of your school, I can't guarantee you'll be 6'4", to, well, I'm 330 or something now. I, I need to mix in a salad. Uh, but uh, <laughs> it's the COVID-15, right? So, but I mean, sure, I, sure. even when I was playing, it's, uh, you know, I was 275. I was a big guy. So I can't guarantee that, that the full-on size thing's going to come. But it was it was inevitable. My dad is... He's 6'3", and probably around 300, probably, you know, he was probably somewhere around 275 when he was in good shape. And my mom was fairly tall for, for that, uh, I mean, she's 5'7", five, 5'8", five, for that generation is not on the shorter side. So it was inevitable that I think I was going to grow. It just was late. And then you talk about a bullet train. I went from, so what was it, 4'11", I think by the end of my freshman year, I was 5'2", and I went from 5'2 to 6'3 in one year. Like, 13 inches in one year. It was painful to say the least. Matthew, do you want to do you want to weigh in on that? Is that your was that your experience as well? Yeah, I've I've seen this happen. <laughs> I've heard of this happening. Uh, I did not have a similar experience. Bucky, I was the exact opposite baseball-wise. I was the guy who was going up there trying to slap a single opposite field and then steal second base. My biggest regret for my little league years is that I never hit a home run on the 200-foot oh. white plastic fence. I couldn't get one over. And then now, we would go back in high school, my friends and I would go back to the field and just take BP, and I hit, like, home runs left-handed and stuff and one-handed, and I was like, why couldn't I have had this size when I needed it, when I was trying to, A, make the Little League All-Star team, and then, B, like you said, impress the opposite sex, try to, get, you know, try to impress them with my sports abilities. 
then it turns out that it just wasn't in the cards for me. I did not have the 13-inch growth spurt. So yeah, that's I'm the main sorry. difference, I think, between me and you, Bucky. Yeah, that's, the that's, that's really the only difference. I don't know. <laughs> that and probably red hair. I'm going to guess you don't have red hair. No, I don't. So other than that, though, basically exactly the same. Uh, no, I hear you, man. It was uh, Little League was not all that enjoyable. It just flat out wasn't. Everybody else was starting to hit puberty and and uh, enjoy the spoils that come along with that. Uh, I, and I'm, when I say spoils, I do mean the attracting of the opposite sex, far more Obviously, than hitting home yeah. runs. Uh, and, yeah, it, I had zero of that. Girls would come to watch everyone else play, and then I think they went to the concession stand and got a snow cone every time I came up because it was not <laughs> going to be exciting. There was nothing, there was nothing spectacular that was going to happen. I, I was just hoping to get on base somehow. And Yeah, so I, I'm glad this, that, that it happened. That, But I'll tell you what, those growing pains – I mean, I would probably sleep, I would say, two or three hours a night, maybe. Maybe two or three hours a night. Just I'd wake up my shins oh, and my yeah. thighs were just aching. I mean, I yeah, I don't really like to admit it, but I mean, I would go in a lot of times into my mom's room, like, crying. Like, my legs are killing me. And mom would get up and come out and click the fireplace on and massage my legs until I'd get to kind of doze off a little bit more. But it was a painful year, but I wouldn't take it back. I, I that. The, that time of being 411 being that little runt was not near as enjoyable as all of the years following when I was <laughs> a, a larger human and and actually started reaping the benefits of hitting home runs and what that that actually does for you it's really interesting because I've been studying scouting a lot trying to get into more of the scouting side of baseball lately and uh, scouting's a tough job you know projecting these guys bodies right when they are 13 14 and trying to imagine what they're going to look like at 26 you know is the power going to come is the strength going to come and obviously it's a huge clue if you can look at the parents and be like oh well genetically there are some markers it's helpful if you can look at a few athletic markers um right. but man projecting <laughs> projecting 411 into 64 is not i i think the most advanced scout would be challenged by that yeah 100 percent. i mean i think there's a lot of stuff when it comes into scouting like handshake and then finding out what they do in their spare time like if my if scouts i, I mean no scouts were looking at me in high school even um but i mean if anybody had came around and find out that you know chopping wood or buck and bales which was oh what a fun job that was with my dad i i mean if they if they looked into stuff like that to me i would have i would have seen one work ethic but i would have seen like there's some like i don't want to call it man strength but just that kind of country strong Mm -hmm. core strength that Mm -hmm. just kind of raw strength is something that i that i think that you can look into i think that scouts the good scouts i do look i think they look into stuff like that you know i mean you you go shake somebody's hand there's a difference between somebody that has really strong hands not that you have to squeeze and hurt somebody's hand Mm -hmm. but just a strong hand versus a hand that you know has never had a callus on it before and you're like okay well which one of those is going to be able to handle a two pound you know piece of lumber uh, the best and over the course of 100 you know 50 plus games so uh yeah i mean i think there's a lot of stuff that you can look into that i i don't think anybody did uh when it comes to me i know that for a fact nobody was looking at me like huh, this guy has bucks and bales in his life i think he is going to hit bombs no no nobody nobody saw that they all overlooked that that's that's for sure but uh whatever it's all water under the bridge at this point right well, the other funny part about it is that both the growth spurt and your name, I think, ended up being really good for branding purposes. Because you think about how many guys that were 5'10 named John who played in the big leagues. No one remembers them, but the big dude named Bucky, who was kind of like a, a red-haired comet across the mm-hmm. Pacific Northwest, he's the one that we all remember, you know, not the, the random guy with the generic name. 
yeah, red-headed that, comet across the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. I love that's a nice phrase, Matthew. That's, I yeah. love that. Yeah, we gotta get something made up with that. I could be a T-shirt <laughs> somewhere, the ginger comet. Uh, yeah, comet. unfortunately, the bad thing about comets—they don't last very long. And uh, <laughs> that, and that, that so that does actually that fits me to a T. But yeah, there's no doubt. There's no doubt that the name, the size, the what I look like. Uh, kind of played a role in it, and then you you couple that. I mean, if I had went up there and struck out my first 15 abs, I would still probably be remembered as, oh, you remember that one time? What was his name? Oh, Bucky. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I remember his name because it's a weird name, and he couldn't hit the ball. He couldn't uh, hit his way out of a wet paper sack. Uh, yeah. So you combine it with the fact that I had some some success in that short little stint that I had, and I did. Yeah. It's, there's a reason that I have the job that I have now. I mean, if I mean, if I didn't, you know, grow and if I didn't have make the little bit of a splash that I made when in my little bit of time, uh, there's no way that I would have been hired by KJR to do the morning show simply because nobody would have known who it was. You know, it's not that I'm famous in some big name, but the if you're a sports fan, which you, you're usually going to be a sports fan if you're listening to Sports Talk Radio, usually you're going to remember who I was just because of the how how much of like a comet it was, how much of kind of, oh, whoa, what is that? Oh, whoa, where'd it go? That type of thing. So, yeah, I think it does. All that stuff plays into it for sure. So I'm still reaping the benefits of that little time in the big leagues, even though it was short and didn't last near as long as I would have liked. I am curious about your baseball journey. I mean, if we let's not, you know, put a cap on it too long, too, too quickly here because, you know, obviously it wasn't maybe as long a playing career longevity-wise as we'd like it to be, but uh, just that getting to the big leagues is such an accomplishment and especially coming from where you did and you went to high school in Oregon, correct? Yep. Yep. Uh, the so not a huge, um, you know, this is not like coming up in Southern California or coming up in Florida, like one of the hotbeds of kind of baseball talent. We have kind of a tough time getting guys out of the Northwest and onto the big stage. So, um, how, how did that part happen for you? Yeah, well, you know, it's it's not as hard now. It still is more difficult for people out of the Northwest, out of the Northeast, you know, even the Midwest. It's definitely more difficult to be seen because you're not playing baseball year-round, you know, and you're not – the caliber of baseball is not as good. You're going to run into far more talent. So the scouts are going to go to California. They're going to go to Florida. They're going to go where they can go watch any game and see – you know, a handful to a dozen potential professional prospects on the field at once. You go traveling around Eastern Oregon. I mean, one, you got to drive, you know, forever and a day in between stops to hopefully find one kid in, in one of these, you know, 10 spots that you stop in that maybe you think could do it. You're not going to have a job very long as a scout. If you're wasting your time kind of looking for that little diamond in the rough. And if, if it's a superstar, if there's somebody that's throwing a hundred miles an hour, or even, you know, 95 miles an hour in, in high school, you're going to hear about it and then you'll go find him. So looking for some, you know, guy that was a runt at one point. Now, by the time I graduated high school, I mean, I was six, three, I lied on my football uh, thing. I said I was 200 pounds just because it made me seem tougher. Uh, but I was like 190. Uh, so I was just a bean pole and still really had no idea how to use my body at all. I was like Bambi. You know, I was just assholes and elbows going all over the place. So it was one of those. There's no, there's no way that anybody was looking into me at that point in time. And understandably so. I wasn't that good of a ball player. But, yeah, it was a, it was a weird trek to be honest i had uh i had scholarship offers for swimming and scholarship offers for football uh, i mean i know football 
programs, POU, University of Oregon, there was a couple others that they thought, oh, this guy is, you know, they looked into it, they did the research, found out that I had hit a huge growth spurt, and then you looked at me and I was just a beanpole, you know, but at 190, 195, that's a pretty decent sized guy in high school 6'3 195 is a pretty decent sized guy but I looked like a you know that guy that was 6'3 160 just because of how slender and kind of skinny I was so I think that a lot of the football programs thought we'll get him in here we'll get him on an eating regimen and we'll beef him up and he could turn into something fairly decent because I wasn't slow for my size um, as a defensive end so and then swimming uh, another thing going back to the the whole runt stage of my life I this is a funny story, but I got to I got to tell you guys. So, eighth grade in Oregon, they tried this thing in basketball. It was the dumbest thing I've ever heard of in the history of sports that I know of. It was basically right. At, this is the beginning, the very infancy of everybody should get a trophy type of mentality. I mean, the very beginning of it. So, what they had done was, I made the eighth grade traveling team, but. Again, you know, these games are what like six minute quarters or something like that. They go by pretty quick, and so. If you were on the scrubs, if you were one of the scrubs, you didn't get much playing time. Well, in Oregon, they tried this thing. They said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to put – both teams put their starters out there for the first quarter, and you play, and the score at the end of the first quarter is like 10 to 6 or something, right? That's usually what a junior high score was, right, 12 to 8. Um, and then at the end of the first quarter, we're going to write those scores down. We're going to remember those. And then both teams, you put your, your scrubs in, and we'll reset the scoreboard back to zero, and they – both scrub squads play the entire second quarter, and the winner of the second quarter gets two points for their team going into halftime. I'm going to tell you, that was the most demoralizing thing. That's one of the things, wow. right, I can't stand this participation trophy world that we're living in right now because you're not doing the kids any favors. They know that they're not as good as everybody else. So you're trying to get them in the game and give them some, I don't know what you want to call that, something to it achieve oh wow we won the second quarter losers hey fellow losers high five when you swing and miss on your high five we got two points for our team going into halftime so that was basketball right and I played so I played basketball and then I wrestled as well and then that was in the winter when you get into high school and uh, I pinned the first six guys my eighth grade year I was a decent wrestler and then I proceeded to get pinned my last six matches uh, and I remember before the referee like hit the mat to stick me my final one I'd already decided I'm done wrestling screw this this is this is not for me it's not fun anymore so high school starts next year and I am I'm getting ready to you know I played soccer and football both my freshman year um, and then in the fall and then all of a sudden winter's coming around and I'm like I'm not playing basketball and I'm not going to wrestle and Rob Bauer Oh, God bless his heart. He's a doofy character, to say the least. But he's sitting behind me in Mr. Hall's uh, math class, and he's just giddy, just bouncing around and one thing after another. And I'm like, what is your deal? He's like, today's first day of swim team. And I'm like, swim team? Uh, what are you talking about? He's like, HHS swim team, Hermson High School swim team, today's first day. And I'm like, we we don't even, it's cold in Hermiston. Like, we have a, a pool, like an Olympic-sized pool outdoors. There's no water in it right now. It's It's winter. And he's like, I know, I know. We we take a bus to uh, Blue Mountain Community College. We go up to Pendleton. We go up there, and then we, we swim in there in the college's pool. And I'm like, that doesn't sound fun. At all. Like, you take a yellow school bus, like, 45 minutes? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, that doesn't sound funny. He's like, it's the girls' swim team and the girls' diving team is on the bus as well. And I went, oh. Aww. 
Oh, a great motivator. I, yep, my hand went up. I said, Mr. Hall, I need to go to the bathroom. He said, sure, go ahead. And I went down to the office, called my mom, said, I want to join swim team. She's like, what? Can, I mean, can you even swim, really? And I'm like, well, I mean, I can. I won't die. I'm not, I'm not a competitive swimmer. Okay, well, what do you need? I said, I need 20 bucks for a pair of goggles and a Speedo, I guess. And uh, you need to come sign this permission slip. So, anyways, fast forward, end up. I, through four years of, of high school, I ended up becoming a state champion swimmer, and that was kind of my best sport. So the whole thing, as far as how how everything kind of unfolded, was crazy because coming out of high school, I had no offers. I had nobody even contacting me about baseball. Um, I had situations where I could go play football or go go swim, but the thing is that I love football games, but I hated football practice, and I loved racing in swim meets, but I hated swim team practice. I mean, you're just you're exercising for four hours straight it's horrible and so but i love baseball i love baseball practice i love taking ground balls fly balls bp you love the games there was nothing about that game that i didn't like and so i was kind of torn between taking these scholarship offers and basically playing a sport that i didn't really want to play but i didn't want to be done playing sports and one thing leads to another and i'm still kind of dragging my feet on my decision after i graduated and I run into a guy uh, named Greg Schwerzy, uh, rest in peace. He he was my 13-year-old Babe Ruth coach, and then he had since gotten the job at Blue Mountain Community College, where I went and swam. Actually, it's 30 minutes away. Uh, the, he had gotten the baseball job there, the coaching job there. And I run into him in the supermarket, and he asked what I'm doing, and I kind of told him. And, and he said, well, I've given away all the scholarships. You know, there's no scholarships, but if you'd like to walk on, you know, I'd love to have you come walk on. And so... I mean, whatever's, whatever happened, I went home. My folks weren't super pumped about me passing up, you know, getting school paid for. Now, they, once they realized that going to community college, all you have to do is be able to spell your name correctly like two out of three times. And then it cost, I think it was like 500 bucks a term or something like that. It was cheap. They weren't too terribly disappointed in what I had chosen because it just plain and simple was, to me, it was I want, if I'm going to get to play a sport for hopefully four more years, and at this point I was just hoping maybe for maybe it's only two years, um, then I wanted it to be baseball. And so I kind of followed my heart with what I wanted to do and walked on there and worked my butt off. And by the time the first uh, the fall semester term had gotten over, a couple of other guys uh, you know, weren't eligible, and so they lost their scholarship. And so because I'd worked hard, coach throws me a bone and says, you know, kind of in front of the team, like, hey, you want to work hard, and so-and-so doesn't want to work hard in the classroom. You know, you've lost your scholarship. You're not eligible anymore. Bucky, you're getting the scholarship. And from that point on, I didn't end up having to pay for school because I just continued to work, which comes from being that runt. If you're a runt, you got to work your butt off just to make the team. Then all of a sudden, my body caught up. But the work ethic didn't go anywhere, and, and I kind of ended up kind of passing some people by. So the whole thing, that was a long story, and I apologize. But it was it, – it, there's a huge part of the whole – journey of all the other sports and the one that I wasn't really the best at was baseball but it was one I loved the most and I that's the one that I followed and it ended up working out the best I think that's really interesting because with uh scouting again you know they talk about go out and look for athletes like look for guys who aren't necessarily playing baseball solely but they're playing Mm -hmm. football and they're playing basketball and they're playing these other sports but find the guys who really will love baseball, who love going to baseball practice. Because you have to love the sport to grind through those minor leagues, you know? Yeah. 
Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, and that's another thing is, is learning how to do it properly. You know, I'm actually getting ready, I think, to, through KJR to kind of release something. I think that we're wanting to call it like Bucky's Quarantine. And it's just basically <laughs> I'm going to th- make some videos and throw some stuff out there with just pointers for moms and dads that are home with their kids that aren't getting to play, but they want to work on their craft because there's so much that goes into it. You can go out and grind all you want, but if you're not grinding properly, you're actually cementing bad habits and, and that's actually setting you back. It's going to make it harder and harder to break those habits when you finally learn how you're supposed to do it correctly. But So how to do it correctly is one thing, and then the will and drive to want to do it amidst a, a game unlike any other that you're going to fail so much, especially when it comes to hitting. you know. And that, But, I mean, even when it comes to fielding, you know, your fielding percentage has to be good, but you still, when the ball is hit to you, there's no guarantee that you're going to field it. I don't care how easy of a chopper it is. When you have to throw it across a diamond, there's no guarantee. Now you, now you are expected to be 99 out of 100 at least to be able to throw that ball across a diamond, but there still is no guarantee. So there's that mental anguish of mm. now I'm expected to be successful in this aspect. And if I'm not, I, it's really going to hurt my feelings. It's going to bum me out. I'm going to let my team down. And you have to be able to get over that and play through that and kind of approach the ball with confidence. And then on the flip side of it, you go put your batting helmet on and you're supposed to fail 70% of the time if you're good. <laughs> and yet you have to somehow go up there with confidence, believing that you're going to get a hit every time. And so it's, the mental side of, of dealing with it, yes, is something that I think is beneficial for, for scouts to look at of how does this guy handle the ups and downs, the ebb and the flow. And I do believe that a lot of times you, people that play a lot of different sports, one, they, they're going to come in contact with failure from all different angles, right? Different sports create different kind of failure. That failure that I had in basketball I just spoke about, that was a, that was a different kind of failure than anything I had experienced in baseball. And you know, swimming, you work your butt off and maybe you, you still don't make the relay team uh, or, or whatever it might be. There's different kinds of failure that you're going to experience and, and that turns into growth. And, and, and then you combine all of that, in my opinion, with you're not going to be burnt out. Because if you put too much on kid, a kid in baseball, you can love the game all you want. If it becomes too much of a grind at too young of an age, that where that that mental side of it the wear and tear mentally that happens to you of trying to constantly battle your inner demons and and trying to have confidence when the game's trying to knock you down mm-hmm. i don't know if you can take a whole lot of that if if you're putting you're pushing your kid too much from the time they're 9 by the time they're 16 17 when it actually matters they're kind of going to be burnt out a little bit to me i think there's a huge benefit of have them go play, you know, basketball and have them go play football and have them go wrestle and have them do this other stuff because it's a break away from the game. To me, because I did that, I was chomping at the bit to get out on the baseball field. Every time the baseball season started, uh, Mom, where's my glove? I don't know. Where would you put it at the end of last season? Because that was the last time that I had touched it. And, you know, I find it under my bed or whatever, and I just couldn't wait to get to the park. I couldn't wait to put my uniform on. Couldn't wait to take fly balls and take swings and the whole thing. So... There's a ton that goes into that that aspect of scouting, in my opinion. If I was a scout, I'm I'm looking at multi-sport athletes 100% of the time. Not to say that if a guy's a stud and he just is the rarity that is just solely baseball for his entire life, if he still loves the game, okay, I'm not going to pass that guy up. But for the most part, if you're kind of a middle-of-the-road guy and you've, you've selected baseball and you've specialized in baseball, there's almost a timeline, I would feel, where – boy, you get into the minor leagues and start jumping on some 15, 16-hour bus rides, and you have, for the first time ever, the real battle of playing against people that are way better than you are, and you have to grind to catch up again, 
that's a that's a mental toil that I don't know if a lot of people make it through. Yeah. I love that story too because A, I don't think many of our listeners knew that you were on the swim team. And B, because there is that reminder that, you know, all of your favorite players at some point probably had a setback, you know, or especially in baseball, having to do those long bus rides. Like it's never just a linear path straight from I was the best player on my six year old team to now I'm the best player in the big league. So I think that's a necessary reminder too. And like you said, for all the kids and whoever's at home trying to figure out a way to get better it's really just you know if you're if you're willing to do it and you're willing to put in the work I think that that's really the major separator between a lot of these kids but I yeah. want to fast forward now Bucky to your actual playing career um in the major leagues at least we mentioned that it was short you had you know your little comet across the sky like we said in <laughs> 2004 but I want to know specifically about your call-up story so you get called up in 2004 to a Mariners team that has Ichiro and Edgar Martinez and Jamie Moyer. What do you remember about that day when you got the call that you were going to the big leagues? Oh, I remember everything about it. I was, uh, I, I had started, I'd been doing really well. I was down in AAA and I think I was on pace for 50 some homers and 160 RBIs. I was killing it down in AAA that and year. And sorry, won the home run derby, right? Yeah. So that was the day before I got called up. So I was oh, in wow. Pawtucket, Rhode Island uh, at the Paw Sox no. Stadium. That's where the. Yeah, that's where the All-Star game was. And so back then it was the International League against the Pacific Coast League. And I went and, and the Home Run Derby, there's some funny stories inside of that that I won't get into. But they, I, I, we ended up doing the Home Run Derby, and and, uh, and I had won a few of those in the minor leagues. I, I had been to, I don't know, six or seven All-Star games, and, and I think I'd won four or five uh, Home Run Derbies. So I always enjoyed Home Run Derbies. To me it, was, uh, it wasn't just a – exhibition thing it was a competition I was wanting to walk around peacock a little bit around the rest of the league like yeah uh I'm way better at BP than you are uh (laughs) um um so uh I took I took those things fairly seriously and I and I went out there and and put on a pretty good show and, and won that so the next day was an off day and then the following day was the all star game and so the off day consisted of a whole bunch of festivities we traveled around uh, Pawtucket and saw all the you know old school you know h- historical sites that are around there and there was this uh, I don't know, like a candle lighting thing on this pond in the middle of the city where they put all these candles on like pieces of bark and floated them out there and there was music playing it was it was really pretty cool well um, we had a, a dinner uh, and it was it was at this big banquet hall and I don't know who all was there but I know there was a few Boston Red Sox greats uh the pesky pole the guy that uh, they named that after he was there there's a few other Boston greats that were there and they were speaking and all of us all-stars are up there on these you know long banquet tables kind of up on two tiers and sitting on a somewhat of a stage above you know where everybody else is kind of sitting at the at their little round dinner tables and um and all of a sudden, George Sherrill, if, if you remember him, he got called up the same time that I did. He was a tri- he was our closer in AAA in Tacoma oh, that year. Yeah. And uh, he and I were roommates on the road. Uh, we rode to the ballpark every day together. And he was sitting at a banquet table, like, right in front of me. And his phone rings, and it's in the middle of, like, somebody's speech, right? And so he answers his phone, and he's sitting there talking for a minute or whatever. And then he turns around and hands me his phone. And first of all that's one of my biggest pet peeves in the world is when somebody else is on the phone and they hand it to me to talk it's like no if I wanted to talk to someone on the phone they could call my phone and I would talk to them I don't want to talk you're just pushing me into a conversation 
and I don't want to be in it. So uh, he hands me the phone. I'm like, what is it? He's like, just take it. So I answer. It's an old flip phone, Motorola flip phone. I, Hello? And he's like, uh, hey, Buck, it's it's Roney. And that's Dan Roan. He was our manager in AAA. And I said, hey, what's up, man? And he goes, hey, I just thought you should know. Uh, you should congratulate George. George uh, just got called up to the big leagues, man. And I'm like, oh, right on. He's like, seriously, make sure you, you tell him congratulations. You know, he's had a long road through the independent ball and, you know, did well this year. And he's, he's finally realized his dream. He's he's going to the big leagues. And at this point, I'm sitting on, you know, hitting three, I don't know what I was, 320 or 312 or something with 26 homers and 86 ribbies halfway through the year. And I'm like, you're really telling, you're really calling me. Well, you're not calling me. you you're handing George's phone to me to tell him congrats. Uh, okay, all right. And he goes, and congratulations to you. You're going to the big leagues as well. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, you dick. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, what? And I'm like, that is not cool, but it's super cool. And at this point, my, my agent was actually there at the All-Star game, Joe Speed, one of my best friends to this day. And he was sitting out at one of the tables, and he sees me on the phone. And right when Roni says that, I look to him, and he must have been able to see it on my face, right? Like a big smile probably came on my face. And, and he stands up and starts kind of rubbing his head like, oh, my God, is this it? And uh, and so I'm like, all right, Roni, thanks, man. He's like, congratulations, you know. Um, they'll be in touch and let you know what's happening next. And I'm like, oh, my God, right on. So hang up the phone. And I look at him, and I give him a thumbs up. And he just starts, like, jumping around, you know, making a fool of himself right there in front of everybody. Um, so I actually get up at this point. I can't contain anymore. I get up and, and go down. i got to give him a hug and, and just talk to him about, oh, my God, and call my folks and do that whole thing. And so, uh, yeah, I remember that vividly. And then the next day is the actual All-Star game. And Mike Brumley, uh, he was a coach here for the Mariners not too terribly long ago. But he was the manager for – the Angels, Salt Lake Bees, the Angels AAA team, and and he was the manager of the All-Star game, and the next day he's, you know, he comes in, and every kind of word kind of traveled. It wasn't supposed to get out, get out, but mm. he kind of traveled around the inner circle in the clubhouse, and uh, he comes up, and he's like, hey, man, uh, you know, I was going to start you at DH, but I just don't know if I, I don't know. If I put you in there and you get hit, by a pitch on the hand and you never get called back up again he goes i'll never be able to forgive myself and i said dude you can do whatever you want i am literally <laughs> on cloud nine right now i i don't care one bit and he's like okay good good i'm glad you're that's where you're at so he didn't start me and then later on it was a close game two to one or something like that he's like hey would you would you be down for a uh you know pinch hit a b and i said of course sign me up and so uh the the crowd was actually starting to chant my name because they had seen the home run derby a couple of days before and he's like comes over and he's like I want to I want to put you out there I really do I mean to win the game I want to put you out there for the fans I want to put you out there but he goes I swear if if you get hit by a pitch man I'll never be able to live with myself and I said dude again I don't care. I'm going to the big <laughs> leagues tomorrow. I don't care what you do. And he's like, all right, well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to take a chance. I can't do it. So I didn't end up playing in the game at all. I ended up losing in uh, extra innings, I'm pretty sure. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, the next day they end up calling. And for the first time in my life, I, I have had a first-class seat. Uh, George Sherrill and I were, were, were sitting first class, and neither one of us had ever sat first class on an airplane before. And 
we're flying back, obviously, all the way across the country. And they kind of told us, hey, when you get there, we'll meet you at the airport and kind of direct you in and let you know what's, what's going to go on. Uh, but he and I just constantly kind of pinching each other, not not literally, but uh, pretty much just like, I can't believe this is happening. You know, I mean, this is, and it was awesome to have that experience with George as, as much of a friend as he was and, and is. And so it was, that was amazing, man. And then, yeah, got called up and they, they basically, I got there and a guy named Jim Nah, he was a front office guy. He met us at the airport and he asked how we got there. And I said, I drove my Yukon there. And he says, can George drive that to the yard can he drive it to safeco and i said sure and he goes i because they want you to come with me okay so i go with him and we pull into a different parking lot and go upstairs and he takes me straight into bevesi's office and bevesi just wanted to have a conversation with me he wanted to tell me that you know they had to release olerud in order to bring me up and olerud is well loved in that clubhouse and he's got big relationships with a lot of guys because that was a huge veteran team, you know, and I mean Olerud and Dan Wilson and Moyer and, you know, all those guys Edgar, all their families are like good friends and so now all of a sudden I'm going to be taking his spot and he's like, I just want you to know, kind of tread lightly you know, kind of be seen and not heard type of a thing, don't ruffle any feathers because the move in and of itself is going to ruffle some feathers and I was like, okay, you know that's cool Um, you know, and so that's, and then he basically set me free and put put me down there yeah sent me down into the clubhouse and and the rest is uh, a short little history but oh man was it fun while it lasted Bucky what about specifically your first game because I'm looking at the box score right now and uh it was it was not a pretty day for the old Mariners <laughs> what do you remember about that day um I think we gave up like some record like eight or nine home runs that game oh my gosh Ooh, I don't know about that I do know you lost 18 to 6 to oh Cleveland. Yeah. Let me see yeah. how many home runs they hit. I think yeah. it was something absurd. Um, Travis Blackley had a rough day on the mound. Yep, yep, <laughs> Blackley. He was just he had just gotten called up not too terribly long before that. Uh yeah, I remember the game was ugly. I remember I was floating, so it didn't feel bad to me. And I'm a team guy. Like I'm a guy that when you're losing, I'm not walking around super happy, but I remember showing up to the yard that day, uh, way early and went out by myself into the onto the field and just kind of looked around at this cathedral that I get to call my office, you know, for however long and, and just, you know, kind of took it in, just had a little moment by myself. Uh, I've ate grass. I remember actually the entire, every single day that I was there, I would take a pinch of grass and eat it. Brett Boone, um, not a giant fan of Brett Boone, by the way, but Brett Boone at one point is like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm like, I'm eating some of this grass is what I'm doing. And he's Obviously. like, stop eating the grass. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, bud, how about you simmer down? Not everybody's great grandpa and grandpa and dad and brother played in the big leagues. Like, this is something special to me. I'm taking some of this shit home with me. And <laughs> you're an idiot. Uh, whatever. Whatever, Boone. Uh, so, yeah, I, I had all kinds of things that happened that first game. And then oh when the game God. started, I do remember vividly, um, them launching the ball out of the yard. I don't know how many times it was. It, it was a lot. It seemed like it was every other every other pitch. And I was playing first. Um, I remember my first play of the game was Omar Vizquel, kind of a jam shot blooper out behind first base. And it didn't – and I'm running back. I make kind of an over-the-shoulder uh, catch. It almost clanks out of my glove. Like it's like snow cone in my palm. Mm. Um it was the, the whole thing, man. There's there's not a whole heck of a lot that I don't remember. Uh, Cliff Lee was on the mound, I remember. 
Um, and you got a hit. Yeah. Well, I actually – so I think I punched out my first A.B. Um, I think I struck out on a high fastball my first A.B. Second A.B., I think it was I end up going yard in the upper tank, and it just hooks foul. Oh. And that roar of the crowd, like I, I, I became accustomed to that, that, you know, sound crack of the bat, and then the fans, you know, and you fall in love with that as a power hitter. I mean, it's oh. literally one of the greatest things in the world. But I can see it hooking and hooking, and I'm jogging down the line. I know it's gone. It's just a matter of whether it stays fair, and it hooks foul, and uh, caroms off some poor lady's, like, shoulder that could not have <laughs> felt good. Um, and so, you know, then the crowd, oh. And so you walk back, and I am – it was this most anxious, I don't nervous, this weird feeling of, like, adrenaline rush – and then kind of a drop down, but you can't really drop down too far because the bat's not over. Um, and so anyway, I stepped back in there and thought to myself, like, all right, I don't know if he's going to come in there again. And uh, he didn't. Tried to go fastball away, and I ended up hooking a base hit uh, into left field right after that. Now I'm going to stand on first base realizing I just achieved one of those dreams, which was to get a base hit in the big leagues. And it's off a guy that uh, was pretty good, really good at that point in time. Absolutely, yeah. And for the listeners at home, uh, Cleveland did hit eight home runs. Three of them were from Victor Martinez. Yep. Yeah. See what I mean? It was... Who do you think had a rougher? Uh, what's a rougher debut game? That or an eighteen to eight loss? Or I'm thinking about Tim Lopes, who uh, had a kind of a wild two weeks, but in his first start got hit in the head with a with a ball and had to go on the concussion DL. I was thinking yeah. about that when you started talking about the manager who wouldn't put you in in case you got hit and didn't yeah. get a chance to get called up. Yeah, I don't – see, I don't – first of all, I don't know how guys get hit in the head as much as they do. Now, I know guys – there's more guys throwing harder than they are – than there was back when I was playing, so maybe that's what it is. Yeah, with less um, command. They yeah, throw harder I, and with less command. Yeah, well, yeah, because the game now is if you throw – if you got a lightning bolt attached to your shoulder, you know, they'll throw you out there because that's just what they want. They want guys that have swing and miss stuff. And and if you're – even if you're a little wild, you can be effectively wild. Uh, whereas back when I was playing, there wasn't as many guys throwing like that. So there's more guys with better command. But you know, not to say there isn't still guys with good command. There's some great pitchers in the game still to this day. But – it just didn't seem – there was far fewer big high leg kicks. There was far fewer uh, guys diving in on the plate because mm. there was more of an emphasis put on pitchers like you take that inside part of the plate back. If a guy's diving in on you, you got to take it back. And so there was a little bit more of the old school roughneck kind of, you know, just you'll hit guys if, if you want to. And now that's – there's not as much of that. And so guys are big leg kicks and, you know, drop and drive and bat flipping and it's just okay to, you know, do some shimmy off the mound if you strike somebody off. There's a whole lot more of that stuff in the game now. So I, it, it is weird to me how guys get hit in the head as often as they do, but I think that all those reasons I just said is kind of why. But I think that would definitely be worse than having to go into some concussion protocol. They didn't even have that when I was playing. If a guy get hit in the head, it was like, well, can you stay in the game? I mean <laughs> – it's, you had a helmet on. It's uh, I mean, can you go to first and run? I mean, what's the big deal? Um, yeah, it's but yeah, that would five. suck because he, he, then he's just out for a while. You know what I mean? It's like you get there, you get your opportunity, and then boom, you're out for a little while. Whereas Blackley, 
he got lit up, but then he got to go out there five days later and kind of try it again, which which I think any baseball player would say that's what they want. After you fail or something bad happens, you want to get back out there, get on the horse, and, and try it again. Absolutely. We saw that a little with Justin Dunn, who had kind of a disastrous uh, yep. major league debut where he just couldn't find the strike zone, couldn't command it. And he just he got exponentially better every time yep. he went out there, which was he's great a good to kid watch. Too. Oh, he's great. So smart. Yeah good kid handles himself well i mean he's going to be successful i you can almost guarantee it i mean i didn't know him from adam until last was it last spring training that we went down there and did our show and and i talked to him and i was thoroughly impressed and then this year after he ended up having you know his his taste and kind of that rough start and then kind of figured out how to settle in and and realize it's just baseball it's better baseball it's tougher baseball, but it's bigger baseball. It's There's more eyeballs on you, but it still is just baseball. You still just got to do what you do, what got you there. Once he went through that, you, I saw like even a more mature – he's still a young kid, but I still saw a more mature guy that is going to – in my opinion, I think he's going to thrive. I think he's going to continue to grow and turn into a stud at the big league level. It's so nice how they've built that network too. Like he's really good friends with Justice Sheffield. They do everything together. Evan White's part of that group. Jake Fraley's part of that group. Even guys who aren't in the bigs yet, like uh, Nick Zamorelli, like they're all kind of this close knit yeah. clique who are all not a clique because it's not exclusive, but like they're right. a friend group and they support yeah. each other and their wives and girlfriends support each other and it's yeah. really cool to see all of them coming up together. It is. Well, they. I mean, I think Depoto's doing something different than has ever been done before as far as a rebuild. It's not that you know Houston Astros seven year tear it down to the studs and rebuild type of a thing he's trying to do it in a in a short turnaround and where he's he's going out and making trades for guys that are close to big league ready if not big league ready already he's drafting a lot of college players that are that he thinks are going to be able to move through the minor leagues quicker and then you have this team that's struggling and it's just this giant dark cloud of you know what is it nearly two decades of no playoffs and 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 all he's indoctrinated all these youngsters into thinking hey you guys, I am all in with you guys. Like I literally, my job rests in your hands, and I am expecting you guys to be the nucleus of a team that is going to be competitive here in the next year or two, and going to be competitive for the foreseeable future. And he he kind of tells them all, "Hey, you go. There's all the jobs up there are up for grabs <laughs> at this point. Go get one. Go take one." And so he kind of motivates them and indoctrinates them into that mentality, and they all kind of looking around like. Hey, I guarantee they're having beers at times back at their apartments, wherever it is they're playing. Like, dude, I can't wait to be dropping bombs with you. Or I can't wait to be winning games in Seattle with you. Whereas that wasn't like that in any teams that I ever played with. It was you had your team and you're wanting to go out there and win games in whatever level, double A, triple A, wherever you're at. But you weren't necessarily envisioning you and the rest of your teammates being together at the highest level there was an individual part of it that you kind of were like i'm just hoping to take care of myself and if it works out great if if you get there great i'm happy for you too but not the same feeling as what you get with right. all these kelnicks and julios and duns and sheffields and all of those guys they all kind of feel like hey we're in this together and we're going to do this together we're going to things are going to change we're going to change baseball in seattle uh in the near future do you have sort of uh one of those guys who stands out to you above the rest i mean it was stood out to me when I was watching the um, really excellent thing that ESPN or that MLB Network did on the '95 Mariners and 
just the lightning rod that Ken Griffey Jr. was when he came into that club and right. how he galvanized that team into feeling like they could win and they could do it. Do you get that sense off of any of this crew in particular? Uh, Julio Rodriguez is the one that pops out in my yep. head. So I watch Julio Rodriguez, and I played in Venezuela for a, a few different winners, and and, uh, and I played against a young Miguel Cabrera when he was like wow. 16 or 17. He wow. was on one of the teams that I played with down there, and and uh, it, there was just something different about him. Like, if you think about Miguel Cabrera, he kind of has like cankles. You know, he, he does. He kind of has a weird little build. And now he's, <laughs> he does. He does. He's, now he's older, right? He's he, kind of built like a duck. Yeah, he is. He is. It's just, It's a weird build. It's like this sturdy uh, foundation, you know? Like, not that he has, like, super big feet, but there's cankles up to, like, sturdy calves. He doesn't have those model knees, you know? Like, it's, like, kind of this cankly, almost look like he had knee replacements already. Like, there's no, like, curve in him He doesn't have like that, it. like, race. Sometimes you hear guys' legs being described as racehorse. Like, yeah, oh, he, he, like, he has that. racehorse ankles. He has Clydesdale <laughs> legs. <laughs> Yeah, up to, like, big thighs into a dump truck ass, right? And then just kind of, not slender, but just, you know, athletic from from the waist up. And the dude raked. I mean, he was 16 playing against grown men. That Venezuelan league is tough. It's the it's the it's better than AAA here. It's it's 4A at least. And uh, at certain times, you're you're playing a big league game where just about everybody on the field is is big leaguers or ex big leaguers. And so he's playing at 16 against those guys, wow. and it just looked different. His BP looked different. His approach looked different. His maturity was off the charts. I mean, compared relative to how old he was and how. What, what what he looked like in the box, how he took pitches, what his swings were, how he fielded ground balls, and you know it's uh, he didn't. I remember back all the way through college, you know, you hit a ground ball to third base, and third baseman fields it, and he does those, you know, his footwork that he's been taught, and then throws as hard as he can across the field. Like this guy at 16 is fielding it smooth, couple couple right lefts, and flips it over there with a little sink that just gets the guy by a step. You know, it's like the. He was different, and to me, when I watch Julio Rodriguez, I see the cankle, the the, <laughs> the entire same thing, the Clydesdale legs, although he can run. Uh, he has that same build, almost the exact same build, and then you watch him swing, and it's a very similar swing. He can cover the entire plate. There's no pitches that he can't handle, and then he has a weird love for the game. That's It's not unusual. There's a lot of guys that have it. His seems a little different, and I will say that I've always found a lot of times, well, I shouldn't say I've always, oftentimes i found in my playing career that there's there's an element of added potential success with some Latin players from time to time mm-hmm. or just players that come from a different country that they Dominicans understand. especially, yeah. I think. They, yep. they love, the, it's bred in that, like, they yeah. love the game. It really is. And then, well, there's just a part of how much it means to them. Now, it meant a ton to me. But me making it to pro baseball didn't change my family's stars. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't when yeah. all of a sudden I could bring – when I could send $100 home, you know, my family didn't have to, you know, you know, scrounge for food. You know, it wasn't – it didn't change my family's world like it does some of them. So there's a different kind of drive in a lot of those guys. And, and I'm not going to say I don't know his backstory. I don't know his history about what it, how well off his family is or how hard it, it was growing up. But I will just automatically say there's a different love for the game that he has that it's there's a little added, I don't know, a star on top that has kind of this thing of I love the game, I'm blessed to be good at the game, I enjoy working to get better at the game, 
I'm confident that I am good at the game and I'm going to I'm going to turn into something special. And then again, that, that's all wrapped up in this giant love, like a big heart of baseball that you can't really you can't really find that. You know, what I mean, as a scout, you can look for it, and but when you if you just talk to a guy a few different times for 10 minutes, 15 minutes on the phone, anybody can say all that you want to hear. There's a difference between saying it and it just like oozing out of you. And to me, that love for the game, that love for wanting to be good, great superstar he has that in spades and i i uh i have a hard time thinking he's not going to be a superstar in the league for sure i completely agree also if you saw him play with uh he just played in like a charity kind of softball thing down Mm -hmm. in the dominican but he was playing against guys like gene segura like guys who are major leaguers and he was kind of the star of that game there were pictures of him afterwards standing next to vlad guerrero senior and you know he's huge. He's Nelson mm-hmm. Cruz sized out there, looking like a like a, a absolutely every bit of man as all these other guys. Yeah, so. at nineteen, right? Yeah, it's yeah. just that's yeah, silly. Yeah, right? I don't even know. Is he nineteen or twenty now? Regardless of what it is, yeah, he's got man no, size. He's, he's got he's man just strength. turned nineteen at the end of uh, December. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, he's going to be exciting to watch. I don't know for sure if anybody can go. I don't know for sure if I'll ever see anybody that I could put in the same classification as as King Griffey Jr. Uh, but I will say that uh, that kid Kelnick also seems like a kid that has the kind of his is a little different. It's a little bit more of the fiery. Rocky Balboa mentality to <laughs> yeah, me, yeah. you know, kind of the little oh, chip yeah. on the shoulder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, people didn't know that there could be baseball players from Wisconsin. <laughs> I'm going to show them, you know. And uh, but he's got all the tools and he's got all the confidence. Uh, there's they got Jerry Depoto. I am liking what he's done. I get the frustration by Mariner fans, but boy, he, I think he's built a, a really good young nucleus of guys that not all of them are going to pan out. But I have a feeling that there's a handful that I would say I would almost bet that they're going to pan out. And then you just need, you know, a, a small group of the others to pan out. And then you go and you fill in the holes in free agency and whatnot. And and uh, I think that this team's going to be good Absolutely. here in the next couple of years. And we've got an exciting draft coming up with some really good draft positioning. And they're going to get someone. It's a great draft this year. It's a shame that it's just five rounds. But yeah, uh, they've got... I mean, any of the players who will be available to them at six, I'm really excited about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got, And you can't miss on those guys. We've seen, unfortunately, in Mariners history that they have missed with some number two picks and number five picks, and they've missed on some guys. You can't miss. If you get to, if you get to pick, you know, one of the best guys in the country, you need to pick somebody that, you, that you're pretty darn sure is going to be a big league stud for – for years to come, and and hopefully somebody that can be a stud sooner than later, based on what Jerry Depoto is trying to do. So, yeah, I've I've seen a couple of the names out there, and I haven't seen any of these guys play, so I don't have any like personal opinion. But I do, I firmly believe in people like you guys that that do that dive into this stuff. That the data that's out there on these guys now is far better than it used to be, and I it's hard to think that that anybody that's ranked in like the top 10 is going to be a slouch you know it's not like you're going to be able to slip through the cracks it wasn't that long ago where I think the data wasn't quite as good there wasn't as much information not as many people diving into it the way that some folks do and and uh yeah so they whoever they get at six I think is going to be pretty pretty impressive hopefully just sooner than later 
Yeah, absolutely. Boy, I hope so. Matthew, really hope um, so. do you want to kind of close up with, I know Matthew has a couple trivia questions for you. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, I was hoping we could, we got, you know, about five minutes or so until we hit an hour. I was hoping we could do kind of like a lightning round. Um, got it. Start, start with the trivia, I guess, since Kate already hinted at it. Um, okay. So I have two questions for you, Bucky, and want to know if you can get the answers to these. Uh-oh. So you made 176 plate appearances for the Mariners. Uh, of all players in Mariner history, with less than 180 plate appearances, there's only one guy who's got more homers than you. Do you know who that is? Oh, boy. It's from the 90s, if that helps. Uh, Julio Cruz? <laughs> it's not Julio Cruz. This was a tough one. It's That's Mark Witten. Hard-hitting Mark Witten? Hard-hitting Mark Witten. Exactly. <laughs> Joined well, the team in a trade and hit 12 homers in 163 plate appearances. But you're second. You're right in there. Oh, that makes me feel bad. No, it doesn't actually. <laughs> screw it. Second behind Mark Witten, I'll take it. <laughs> I don't think that. It, his name is literally hard-hitting Mark Witten. So. Yeah, that's true. My Jacobson doesn't really rhyme with any cool words. No. Then again, I never got any cool nicknames because I had the name of Bucky. Everybody's like, well, you already have a nickname. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'd like a cool one, like hard-hitting Bucky. What would you have done for your players weekend? I mean, I think now we've got the P&W Comet or the Ginger Comet as your players weekend <laughs> Ginger jersey. Comet, Ginger Shrek. Ginger Shrek. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Ginger Shrek probably would have been, I don't know, Buckshot was always something. Buckshot. That, Buckshot was, something, was a nickname that, it was a, I didn't, like I said, I didn't get any nicknames that really stuck because everybody See, just called me just my name. you just around in the time of social media enough. I think that, like, if you'd been doing that, there would have been a hashtag, you know, everybody, Vogie Bomb is a thing, like, we. Yeah. Mariners fans would have come up with something yeah, for you. Yeah, that's true. I'm certain of it. I actually, you know, I don't have a whole heck of a lot of things that I'm bitter about uh, in general. Just I don't need to live in that in that world. But, yeah, I've always felt like I played at just the absolute worst time for me. Like if I had played 20 <laughs> years earlier when there wasn't steroids – um, I would have been killing it because I was yep. I never took anything and I I mean I would have been killing it. I played right up all the way through the minor leagues. Everybody not everybody but a lot of people were juicing and they tested in the minor leagues, which was fine. I didn't care, but they didn't test in the big leagues. So you're trying to crack into the show amongst a bunch of guys that are juicing that are cheating, and and I wasn't. And then right when I got there, then they started testing the big leagues. So I was like, great, this will be great. All these little midgets <laughs> that are hitting 40 homers are going to come back down to earth and hit their 12 like they're supposed to, and I'm going to I'm going to stay right where I always have sure, been, sure. and then it and it doesn't last for very long. So it's that whole thing, and then you you throw on top of it the social media aspect. I don't know why exactly the media liked me i think i just said funny things i guess and i was easy to cheer for because i was a big fat ginger that swung for the fences uh but yeah if if i had social media back then i have a feeling that it just would have even taken off like more of a wildfire so there's a couple little things you're like damn that would have been nice if that was around or or i wish i was i played a little bit sooner so couple of things, not real bitterness, but kind of just one of those things that you think about a little just bit. Just in the wrong time, born in yep. the, born into the wrong time. Yeah, uh, but my luck, if I would, if I got to change it right now, like, all right, send me in a time machine, I, I'd, I'd get sent back to, like, be an old Viking. I'd just have to swing a sword around <laughs> and stink the whole time and, you know, I just that. Just be stinky with a big sword, you know? I mean, honestly, doesn't sound that bad, like, the way that you describe well, it. Well, there's there's part of me. If you saw me right now, I got this quarantine beard going off. I, I, uh, I've 
recently invested in some uh, Viking beads. I'm going to start putting Viking beads in my beard. And I might just start walking around with a sword just for funsies. Just drink out of like a a horn from (laughs) now on. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna. I'm still gonna mix in the showers. There's a lot of things about that old time period that I wouldn't enjoy, and one right. of them is stinking all the time, right. smelling musky. I feel no, like the big fun. beard and the sword and the Viking helmet would be a great way. I find people are really. Um, it's difficult to enforce social distancing. Like people don't <laughs> seem to understand what yeah. six feet is, but uh-huh. I feel like people would give you well more than six feet if that was <laughs> how you were going out in public. I, I think you're onto something. Yeah, if I start feeling like people are crowded me i'll just Mm -hmm. because i actually do i don't my wife does the highland games or she did before she had my son and she'll get back into it she was yeah she had a couple world records she was like second in the world and so one of her trophies was a full-on sword and so i have the sword i don't have the helmet and i don't have the drinking horn but yeah i if i just get a helmet start walking around people start crowding me a little bit i throw Mm -hmm. the throw the sword on my back and i have a feeling i will have a nice little buffer of social distancing or maybe just bring out your badass wife who is nationally ranked in the highland games (laughs) yeah uh, i would also give her her six feet of respect yeah yeah i my buddies yeah all my buddies i tell them like they'll be getting lippy or whatever i'm like dude I wouldn't even have to mess. I could just sick my wife. My wife's strong. She'll caber toss you over. Yes, the... she will flip you like a caber. <laughs> she will toss you like a Braemar stone or something like that. Don't oh mess my with my God. wife. No, you I... said your child is two. Is he four feet tall? He's tall. He's tall. He's over three foot. He's like fifty pounds. Oh he's God. big. Wow. He's, you're he's a, a he's large a small human. Viking. He's a he is a little small ginger Viking. <laughs> That's my my little Baron. Yeah, he's a he's a beast right now. We'll see. He's a little bit of a mama's boy. Every time he does anything, mama, tiss it better. Tiss it better. I'm like, you got to toughen up, son. You're almost three. <laughs> You're almost three. It's time to get a job. <laughs> Incredible. All okay, right, hit other... him with your other trivia question, Matt. Sorry. Yes. My no, other no. trivia question will theoretically be easier because it's kind of about you. Um, your nine career home runs came against nine different pitchers. How many of them can you name off the top of your head? Oh, jeez. <laughs> Uh, the first one was CC Sabathia. I know that. Nice. Yep. Yeah, try getting that one in on me. That didn't work out so well for you, bud. <laughs> well, I figured you would get that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a couple other guys who like baseball fans would remember. They were pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Ortiz was it Ramon Ortiz? Yep. 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 Um, I know that there was Scott Ellerton through behind me early in that same series, my first series. I was hitting pretty well, and so that's the old school thing is, oh, we got to make him uncomfortable in the box. So he threw one behind me, and I ended up hitting a 3-1 slider uh, <laughs> to center field later on, which the great Dave Niehaus had a call on that oh. was – that's how you answer when somebody throws it behind you. You take them uh, deep, and it whoa. was. Uh, it was. Um, so Scott Ellerton. Um, there was one in Kansas City. I want. I want to say May, but I don't think yep. that's it. Because yep. was it May? Yeah, Daryl May. Daryl May. Yeah, little puss throwing lefty. <laughs> he didn't have anything. Um, Daryl May, if you're listening. <laughs> He he can listen all he wants. I have a Viking sword, but and, and you're like you're like five seven. Like no, I wasn't implying that he was in trouble. I was just saying if you're listening, yeah. Bucky Jacobson yeah. is not mincing words. Yeah, well, why he throws doo doo up there, a little pusling and lefty. Um, I like those guys. Um, Jorge Sosa, I remember because yeah. I faced him some in the minor leagues, and he had a nasty slider, and so I hit him in the upper deck and wanted to uh, do jumping jacks and <laughs> dance around because. 
he had struck me out multiple times, and he would do the, yeah, you know, thing oh. off the mound. And I just, I don't like that. I want to break my bat and go stab you with it when you do that. <laughs> um, so, Jorge Sosa. Uh, Mark Mulder. Good. Got him. Good. Day game in Oakland. Um, That's an all-star right there. He was an all-star yeah. that year, I think. Yeah, you're not that good. Um <laughs> No, I'm kidding. He's a lefty. I, I like lefties. I really did. Um, There's another uh, all-star, another big dude on here. Very uh, famous. A couple other all-stars, actually. One is a bigger name, both physically and literally, than the <laughs> other. Oh, I can't think of it off the top of my head. Oh, he was man. playing until like two years ago. Uh, one is... One oh, is- oh, oh, yeah, Bartolo Colon. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh-huh, <laughs> yes, that's actually a funny story. Miguel Oliva was our catcher, right? And they had went out, I guess, the night before. And he came in and gave me a little tidbit of info. He came in and said that Bartolo was saying like, hey, man, how do I get this guy out? I mean, he's he's raking right now. Like, how do I get this guy out? And... uh and Olivo told him, I don't know, uh, but be careful because he'll embarrass you if you make a mistake. And so to me, I remember feeling when I was going up against him thinking he's scared and so he's not going to come in. Mm-hmm. And so he ended up going away and I ended up hitting an opposite field home run off him. And I kind of felt like jogging around the bases like, yeah, I kind of cheated there. Or, <laughs> actually, your buddy kind of cheated on you for yeah, me. I don't know how you work on that. On that but no Bartolo Colon, yeah, I don't know who else. One was a, an Oakland A, and he was also an all-star that year. Oakland A's. I got Mulder, but then... He was both a reliever and a starter, if I remember oh, correctly. Another one that I did get was Terry Mulholland. Yep. Right? Got him. And that one, he was he was in Mariners spring training that year. And so I went to big league spring training. He was on the Mariners team that year. An old guy, right? And I was kind of picking his brain and just always talking to him about stuff. And he ends up throwing me a first-pitch curveball that I end up hitting out, and I remember the next day he comes over, he's like, what are you swinging at first pitch curveball for? <laughs> and I said, because I thought you were going to throw a first pitch curveball. <laughs> and he's like, well, all right, I guess that Simple. answers that. Um, the other A, not the Barry other Zito. A, uh, he was ooh, drafted in the eighth round with the Red Sox. Huh. Got kind of a weird name. Went to Texas, but spent the rest of his years with Oakland. He was only an all-star. I guess in 2005, he was an all-star. He wasn't an all-star in 2004. But again in 2008, I don't know uh, not a is. super long career, but he was pretty good. The year. He had a 3.27 ERA. The I can't year believe I don't remember this. Yeah, I he was good enough like, that I remembered him. When, I, when, you, <laughs> say it, when you say it, I'm going to be like, oh, what yeah, if, and I'll probably What if we gave you his initials? It's J.D. Oh, that was a walk-off homer, Justin Dukesher. <laughs> oh, jeez, how did I? Yeah, yeah. How did I not remember that? Good oh. job, you got them all. I yeah. noticed it too. That's why. Yeah, walk-off. I noticed okay. that it was the walk-off that you couldn't remember, and I was like, "What's going on?" Did you yeah. Really hold this? <laughs> well, college was tough on my brain cells, folks. I'm not gonna. Well, college and minor leagues. Uh, so my brain doesn't click quite as quickly as it used to. But yeah, remember that one vividly. It was uh, the Bobby Madridge game. We had uh, uh, Randy Wynn had gotten on right in front of me, two outs in the bottom of the ninth, and got picked off on first base and to end the bottom of the ninth inning. And then we go out in the top, in the top of the tenth, and uh, Bobby Madrich had, had came on to pitch. I don't know if you remember him. Really short career, but he would have been nasty if he would have oh, yeah. torn his labrum. Uh, 
through through mid nineties with the nastiest cut, natural cut. His middle finger was like an inch longer than his index <laughs> finger. Seriously, it was like an abnormality, but it made the ball just move like crazy. And he got into some trouble. And there was one out guy on third base, and I don't know who it was, smoked a line drive to Justin Leone at third base, touched third base to double him up and get out of the inning, and now I'm leading off the bottom of the 10th. And, uh, yeah, he tries throwing a cutter, and I raked that thing over the fence in center field. I can't believe I forgot that one of all of them. Of that all was one of, of the greatest moments of my entire life. <laughs> it was a walk-off answer for you right at the uh-huh. end. Yeah, walk-off answers, right. Walk them um, off, son. Bucky, my last question, and you can be as quick as you want on this one, as I know we're running out of time, but I can't let you leave without telling us your best Ichiro story, if you've got one. You don't, you didn't spend a lot of time around him, I'm guessing, but what do you remember about the brief interactions you had with Ichiro? Oh, I had quite a few, actually, because, I mean, I was a fan. I'm a baseball fan, first and foremost, and, and uh, being a Mariner fan, I was, you know, watching when I was in the minor leagues. I was watching when he kind of broke on the scene and, you know, basically just does everything that he does as far as MVPs and Rookie of the Years and and uh, so it was it was interesting. For some reason, in spring training, I have no idea why, I hit a home run in big league spring training, and I'm talking to the media afterwards, and he comes up and kind of busts through the, you know, meanders through the, the wall of media <laughs> and hands me a bat. And he used to call me Big Pimp. For, hey, Big Pimp. Big Pimp. What? I don't know why. I think it's just because he didn't know my name. Um, <laughs> Big Pimp. And so he hands me a bat that's autographed one of his bats that's autographed and I'm just like oh wow you know and me is like well that's cool did you ask him for a bat I'm like no no that so that was that was the first kind of interaction that I had with him when I went up there I remember talking to him always trying to talk to him pick his brain uh but he's like a robot like literally down to the minute when he is when it's time for him to take off towards center field and do some karaoke's to be loosening up I could be in mid-sentence and he just boom he's gone I'm like all right uh, see <laughs> See, uh, and I called him Itchy Balls. Um, uh, he called me Big Pimp. I called him Itchy Balls. I said, all right, Balls, I'll, I'll see you. I'll talk to you later. Email me, maybe. Uh, we were in the middle of conversation there. Uh, I guess you're busy getting ready to play and be an all-star. Uh, I'm just sitting here eating grass. Don't worry about me. Um, I've heard so, that he schedules his day in five-minute increments. Like, he knows exactly what he's going to be doing every five minutes. 100%. The dude did the exact same thing. Came in, he did the exact same thing. I mean, down to he trimmed his nails at a certain time. He, like, took care of his bats. He took them out of his little bat humidor, and he wiped them down. You know, and he wiped his glove down and his cleats down. And, and he <laughs> – I'm, I'm making – he ate a rice ball at the exact same time every day. There was just one rice ball in the cafeteria – like the kitchen area it was his you didn't touch it obviously <laughs> when he wanted it he went and ate his ball of rice um it was everything down to down to a t the guy was the guy was was super impressive i mean to play with the way that he went about his business was something that was unlike anything i'd ever seen before and yet now i understand that it's it's part of the japanese culture but i think he even takes it to the next level he's like the you know, the Michael Jordan of Japan, and he takes so much pride in, in the fact that if I prepare to the best of my ability, the rest is going to come out in the wash, and, and I'm going to be a superstar. So it was uh, it was pretty impressive. That I, I mean, I had multiple interactions. Probably the funniest thing was at one point I ended up asking uh, Alan, his translator, how do you say I love you? Like, I want to say I love you to my girlfriend in, in Japanese. And Aishitaru, Aishitaru. So at one point, Ichiro had just, I don't know if he had hit a home run or just drove in a run or something, and he comes in, and I said, balls, Aichiro balls. 
And he goes, no, no. <laughs> and I'm like, but I used to, I do love you. <laughs> and he's like, no, no. And then he proceeds to tell me that uh, you don't say that. Like a man doesn't say that to a man. Like, you know, like he, I guess fathers and sons don't even say that to each other. Like it's just that's I love you is for your wife or, or your significant other. It's not, you don't say it even like I could say to one of my buddies, love you, man. No, you don't. So from that point on, you would have thought that being a rookie, I would have stopped telling him I used to root, but I didn't. I <laughs> continued to tell him I loved him every time he did something that I loved. And he, that's the year that he set the, broke that record, George Sisler's record. So I told him I used to root quite a few times. I wow. love it. I love it. I love that you are just a giant ginger force of love that cannot be contained. <laughs> That's right. Don't hold me down, Ichiro. <laughs> you You're just I like a you. big bear kind of that has yep. been cursed by a witch into being a baseball player. <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> yes. I'm a cursed bear. I oh, am perfect. very pro people saying I love you more, and especially in baseball where I feel like we we shy away from that and there should be you should be able to say i love you man so yeah, yeah well i did in whatever often. language That's, you want <laughs> in, in whatever yes and that you remember it all these years later too it's the only thing i remember i asked a whole bunch of other things like cuss words <laughs> and stuff like that i asked a whole bunch of other things the only thing that i remember is i used to do we have i told him i used to do at spring training this year too we've heard that uh ichiro had a famously dirty mouth so that well, maybe. But when I was there, what was it, his third year? He was still kind of keeping oh, to himself. Right. He spoke yeah. English, but he kind of just kept to himself. I don't think, from what I have heard the last few years when he was back around and becoming more of a leader and getting up and he was actually speaking to the group and whatnot, I know he did this spring training as well, or last year, um, I, he wasn't that guy. He didn't have a leadership. He didn't take a leadership role at all. He was all about doing what he was supposed to do as a leadoff guy and helping the team win. He didn't. So I, I don't know if he had a potty mouth. I literally don't think he said very many things. And like I said, when I would be having a conversation with him, when it was time for him to go do toe touches or something, it, the conversation was over. He was he was on Ichiro time, 100%. On Ichiro time. I well, feel that like story completely exceeded all of my well, expectations. We've learned so much. <laughs> we've learned about Ichiro time. We've learned about eating grass, which, for the record, I would 100% have done. It was delicious. <laughs> yeah. Best tasting grass I've ever eaten. We've learned about Bucky's wife being a a caber toss slash Highlands uh-huh. game expert. Two-time world record holder. Two-time world record. Yeah, I'm, I'm her groupie now. I just, I feel like, Matthew, we've learned so much in this hour. I We have, and now I feel even less accomplished than I did before. <laughs> <laughs> Blame that on my wife, not me. Yeah, well, and just you. I mean, you were talking about being on the swim team and stuff. Like, I played baseball, and then when I got bored of baseball, I quit playing baseball and started drinking beer. Like, that yeah. was my whole well, evolution. Well, if you're athletic. If you want to get that out of your mind, just picture me in a Speedo. <laughs> and, uh, that'll turn not, it into a negative right away. Uh, this has been incredibly enlightening. And citizens of Seattle, if you see a large man with beads in his beard brandishing a sword don't be afraid even though that is your first and correct impulse Uh, it's it's just our friend bucky making sure everybody keeps their social distance that's right that is right 
Bucky, uh, let's get some plugs in before you yes, go. Yes, yes. Uh, tell us what you want to plug. Direct, yeah, direct the people to everything know. you want them uh, to Where can people hear more of you? What? Tell us more about this thing Every you're doing morning. with KJR, too, with um, um, the quarantine workouts. Yeah, well, it hasn't even dropped yet. We haven't even done it yet. i got to get a couple more videos in the can before we do. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I am on the radio every morning, Monday through Friday, 6 to 10, about crack of dawn. <laughs> talking sports there's not a lot of sports to talk about as far as live stuff but we're talking we're obviously diving into how this whole covid pandemic is is affecting sports and when they're going to come back and you know there's a lot of stuff uh, coming down the pike it seems like as far as when stuff's going to come back so breaking down a lot of stuff chuck and i uh we got slickhawk there kind of in the back uh helping us out with everything and uh, it's i i think it's a good show i shoot i don't know i listen to it but then again, that's because I'm on it. Um, so, yeah, check it out. And then, uh, yeah, that Bucky's Quarantine thing will be dropping here soon. And just be some little tidbits and tips and tricks for some folks to work on at home with their young athletes if, they, uh, if they're so inclined that they're wanting to work out during this time when everybody's kind of stuck at home. And theoretically, if people aren't up at 6 a.m. because they don't have jobs right now smart. during the pandemic, um, can they catch you on like a podcast type thing? Or oh yeah, recording every these every one of our yeah every one of our shows are uh, podcasted. I don't know how that whole thing works. That's above my pay grade. But uh, I think sometime around noon every day, I think our sh- our sh- entire show. Um, goes out on podcast and so it's it's all broke down you guys probably know more about it than i do it's like hour by hour and different segments are here and so yeah there's a lot of people i know that go on to the iheart media app and uh, and you can just log on get on there you know search around for kjr and you can find on one of the tabs the chuck and buck in the morning show and and listen to all of our stuff we leading up to the baseball season or what was supposed to be the baseball season we did a podcast called stove not the stove, just stove, where we kind of got to break down baseball a little bit more because, in all honesty, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of times where we don't get to talk as much baseball as we would like. Yep. Chuck's a big baseball seam head, and, and uh, you know Seahawks being king around here, you gotta yep. spend most of your time talking about them. So we had our own little podcast, so people can go back and listen to those as well. Those are I know those are all out there, um, and uh, those are a little bit more free flowing than the the normal radio day. You know where you got segments breaking everything down. You're on a time clock and Right. We still tried to keep away from the cussing for the most part, but every once in a while something slipped out. I do appreciate having a baseball first guy. I, I mean, I think, you know, with no disrespect to the guys over at 710 or anyone else out in the radio atmosphere, it's it's kind of hard to find baseball first. And obviously the Mariners have been bad for so long. Like, of course Seahawks are going to be king and, yeah. and talk is always centered around them. But I have always appreciated having your voice out there as like a, well, a baseball-focused voice. So Thank definitely. you. I appreciate that. And these Mariners, they're going to turn it around. And this is a baseball city, whether people want to believe it or yes. not. This te- Anyone this team who is turns here from 95 knows that. Yeah, this team turns it around and starts becoming a contender, and uh, I, Chuck and I are going to get our wish. We're going to be able to talk <laughs> as much Seahawk or as much Mariners as we want to. Absolutely. Cool. Well, we cannot wait for that day to happen. Uh, thank Me you either. again to Bucky for joining the show. Uh, Bucky is also on Twitter at BuckyJ33. Twitter. Fantastic. Twitter. Yes, great follow. Uh, I'm Matthew Robertson. I'm on Twitter at mrobertson22. That was Kate Pruser. You can find her on Twitter at Kate Pruser. Read Lookout Landing, listen to the Buck and Chuck show, and uh, I guess watch out for anyone in your neighborhood who's brandishing a sword <laughs> and yelling about Vikings. Or I'll be like smiling that. and telling you Aisha through the wall while yes. I'm swinging my yes. sword around. So Kill him with good. kindness, Bucky, <laughs> not right. with swords. Maybe both. Step away.
Uh, well, it was a pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so of much. Of course. And thank you for listening. Until next time, everyone. Goodbye. Bye. I know if you pop, why? No, if you pop, why? No, if you pop.